good morning, Edinburgh. Hey, great to be here with you. And uh, if you're a guest, I want to say, hey, we're glad you're here as well, along with those who are watching online. Uh, glad you're tuned in um, with us. And, and uh, how about uh, Hallie and Joel Hansen helping us out in worship this morning? We give them a round of applause. Yeah, we're grateful to have them here this morning. Um, we are in a series uh, called a, a Higher Calling, and we've said uh, we as Christians are called to live according to not just a higher calling, really it's an impossible calling. It's not a calling that we can live out in our own strength. It really does take um, the, the, the power of God working in us and through us to live out this calling. And, of course, I'm talking about living out this agape love that the Apostle Paul teaches us about in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, we, we, we've said there, there are all kinds of different kinds of love. And even in the Greek, they had specific words uh, to, to, to represent these different kinds of love. You have romantic love. And as, as great as romantic love is, romantic love is a gift from God. And Paul says we are called to something higher than just romantic love. There's even philia, which is this friendship kind of love or this family kind of love. And as great as that is, and we all want that, Paul's saying we're called to something even higher than that. We're called to agape love, this Jesus-like love, this Jesus-style love that really does take God helping us if we're going to live it out. And in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us a picture of what that love looks like in action, what it doesn't do and what it does do. And uh, that's going to bring us this morning to um, something we're going to talk about in verse 4 where the Apostle Paul says, love does not boast, it is not proud, okay? So this morning, we're going to focus on, on pride, this idea of, of, of being prideful, because really, everything I've talked about so far in the series, we talked about patience and kindness week one. We, we talked about that, that love does not envy week two. We saw last week, it's not easily angered, and really, at the heart of all these things that Paul talked about, you could argue it's pride. Pride is at the heart of all of these things. Now, let me ask you this, this question. How many of you come in here this morning and would say and be honest, yeah, I know I'm prideful. I struggle with pride in my life. How many of you would be honest about that and say, yep, that's me? Yep, I see some hands going, good for you. That's great that you can admit that, and, and we can pray for that. We can pray for that. I need prayer for that in my own life. How many of you would Because you know, I've never really thought about it. Maybe you're, you're coming in. I've never really thought about it. Um, I, I do probably have some prideful tendencies, so maybe. How many of you would say that? Okay, well, that's good. At least that's a starting point. We can pray for that. How many of you come in here this morning and go, I'm humble? <laughs> Anybody? Because if that's you, we're really going to need to pray for you this morning. Okay? Because pride, we need to understand this, friends. Pride really is dangerous. It really, really is dangerous. Okay, and so what is the problem with pride? I just want to show you some scriptures. The Bible talks a lot about it, okay? Let's look at what the Bible says about this topic of pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs eleven two 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs eight thirteen says, to fear the Lord is to hate 
evil. And then the, the first thing, this is God talking in the, the, the first person that he's going to say here is, listen to this, I hate pride and arrogance, okay? Okay, it doesn't mean he hates you, but you understand, he hates when he sees pride and arrogance creep into our, into our hearts, into our lives. Proverbs 16.5 says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. James 4, 6, we get into the New Testament, and this is said over and over throughout the Bible. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Okay, so all of this can be boiled down really into one principle. We've all heard it. Pride goes before what? A fall. How many of us have experienced that? How many of us are just wise enough to experience pride goes before a fall? God has a way of bringing us down when, when, when we fall into this, the, the, the pride trap. Uh, I remember before Danielle and I had kids, man, we had our idealism about parenting. And we would look around at other families and look around and be like, why don't they get their baby to stop crying? What is wrong with these parents? And we look around at others and see, you know, kids begging for things in the grocery store. Where's the discipline? And then you know what God did? He gave us kids of our own. In fact, he didn't just give us one kid. He gave us two. And we were humbled very quickly. Okay? In fact, it escalated into, I remember a time when our kids had just become walkers. We decided we were going to take them to the Mall of America. We take them to the Mall of America. We're walking around. We're doing everything we can, right, just to survive the Mall of America with our two little kids. And uh, we run into this family from the church, and we start talking, and hey, 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 how's the things going? And the next thing I see, the woman's face go white, and she looks at us and says, um, your son is in the trash can. Okay? And this is at the Mall of America. Logan has crawled in headfirst. He's in the trash can. Look over there. His just two feet are sticking out okay, of this trash can at the Mall of America. And at this point, God had humbled me so much, I, I, I didn't even care anymore. I just said, he's just hungry. He's looking for a snack. Just let him be. I mean, this is what God can do. It's funny how God can change us from being pride, proud, prideful to being humble teaching us a few things. And the reality is he will do that. He will do that. And one of the reasons God hates pride so much is, is because, one, it, it's just it, he is the antithesis of who he, he is. We don't often think about it this way, but God is humble. He's a humble God, just to think about that, being as mighty as he is, that he's also, he's humble. And we see that, of course, in the person of Jesus Christ very clearly. Um, but the other reason God hates uh, pride so much is because it's destructive, right, to relationships. Um, it can destroy marriages, you know, when that wall goes up and no one's willing to help, you know, build a bridge. Um, it can destroy families, uh, kids versus parents, that, that, that kind of thing. It can, it, in, in community, right, right now politics or maybe it's theology, whatever it is, and pride can get in the way and it can create all kinds of problems. Um, uh, not to mention in the church itself, uh, which is something Paul's having to address in, in 1 Corinthians. Pride is wreaking havoc on the church okay, of, of Corinth. So this is why God deals with it. He knows how destructive it is to our lives, how destructive it can be in our relationships uh, with others. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to give us some diagnostics because maybe we're not sure where we stand with this, this pride thing. I'm just going to give you kind of some diagnostics, some questions you can ask yourself to see if maybe you do wrestle with pride maybe more than you, you think. Okay? Um, you might be prideful 
first, if you always have the better story, do you know what I mean by that? Have you ever been in the conversation with, with, with the person where somebody's telling their story and they're like, yeah, I caught this fish and man, it was the biggest fish I'd ever caught. Fought, fought with this thing for 10 minutes, got it in. It was like, wow, this is the biggest fish in my life. But then there's the guy, like, well, I caught a shark once. Shark ate half my boat. And uh, I was in the water and then it bit onto this oxygen tank. I had to get out a rifle. I blew it up. You're like, I think that's the I think that's the plot of Jaws. And you've never even been to the ocean. So but there's always that guy, there's always that person who's like gotta have the bigger and the better story. And maybe that's been, been you from time to time. Maybe I'd, I'd have to admit that's been me. I just gotta get my story. I got you to hear how my story and my life is so much better than yours. <laughs> And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to get other people to envy us. So sometimes it just comes out in in little ways like that. I got to tell the bigger story. How about this? You might be prideful if you always need to be the center of attention. Always look at me. Hey, look at me. Look at me. I always need people uh, looking at me. I've got to be the center of attention. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes the party is dead and somebody needs to step up, okay? But other times it's just, hey, it's me, me, me. I, I I need attention. Well, that could be rooted. That could be rooted in pride. You might be prideful if you are always thinking you are right on everything. Anybody? Right? You always think, maybe it's your theological opinion, maybe it's your political opinion, and you just always think that you're in the right. And if that's you, the reality is you're, you're, you're probably very quick to speak and you're probably slow to listen to others because you always think you're right. You tend to dominate the conversation. So you, you don't really do a lot of listening as much as you do speaking. Proverbs 26, 12 talks about this. says, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for that, that person. The fool can be, you know, taught uh, through being humbled and so like, but the person who always thinks they're right, who has it all figured out, man, that person, it's hard for that person to be to be teachable, and, and, and usually it's going to lead to some kind of fall. And I, I don't really so much do that with theology. or probably, I do have a tendency to do that with, like, lifestyle choices, like things like foods that I like. This drives my wife crazy, but I'm like, if you don't like the food I like, the thing I order off the menu, you're dumb. Anybody else do that? Drives Danielle crazy, but it's even little things like that that we can find ourselves being prideful about. How about this one? You might be prideful if you're always defensive. And uh, I know this one certainly can be, can be me. It's, you know, it's, you don't ever want to admit that you're wrong. You don't ever want to say you're sorry. Does anyone else struggle with this one? Uh, I, 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 my, my older daughter, Michaela, she had some cookies that disappeared, and we all knew her younger sister, Callie, took the cookies and so we confronted Callie about it. Callie, why did you take your sister's cookies? Michaela was pretty distraught at this. She said, I, I, I didn't take the cookies. Meanwhile, she's got chocolate smeared all over her face. Okay, we can see that she clearly took the cookies. And so Callie, just admit you took the cookies. It wasn't even about the cookies at this point. Just admit you took the cookies. And then she was like, well, dad ate some too. 
and I did, but that's neither here nor there, okay? But do you see how she was deflecting blame now? It was like, is that, and now, do you, anybody? Anybody? This can happen. The nicest person can sit down in front of you. It can be your spouse. It can be a friend. It could be a pastor. It could be done in the nicest type of, but you're always getting defensive. Someone's compared it to like a bloated organ in the body, and when it gets touched, it just, it reacts. It gets so sensitive, okay? Well, that can be rooted in pride. I want this last one. You might be prideful if you compare yourself with others. When you do that, it's going to lead to either one of two things. When you're comparing yourself, it's going to either lead to you feeling superior than others, and sometimes we're left feeling superior. I'm superior in my, my, my theology. I'm superior in my education. I feel superior my, my political beliefs. I can be superior. I, I, I don't know. You, you, you name it. I can be superior in how I look, how I dress. I don't know. You, you, you throw it in there. My, my job, uh, my status. And you find yourself, and what you're doing is you're comparing yourself with other people and then elevating yourself to feel better about yourself. And I got to be honest, one, a place where this can really happen, sadly, is in, in the church itself. Where, where people start looking at other people and at least I didn't commit that sin or at least I'm not living that lifestyle. And we forget that, you know, Jesus teaches us all sin is sin. But we do this, we have this like moral hierarchy and we try to place ourselves somewhere. We just want to feel a little better about ourselves. It can happen with our theology. I remember learning this um, when, when uh, Rick uh, Warren gave the inaugural address for Barack Obama. Or not the address, but the prayer. He gave the uh, inaugural prayer. When he was sworn in, and, and I was watching it live, and I'm on all these, like, theological websites at the time, and had all my f- circle of friends at the church at the time, and I just remember everyone just started, like, ripping on Rick Warren, you know, that he, you know, uh, he, he didn't speak about, the, you know, politics enough in his prayer. He didn't, he wasn't gospel-centered enough in his prayer. And I was thinking, this was a great prayer. It was the right kind of prayer to pray in the context in which he was asked to pray. And I just remember, it was a changing point in my life because I remember saying, I don't want to be like these other Christians. And seeing, being so critical, eating themselves. Unfortunately, one place where that happens more than any other place can be in the church where we puff ourselves up and we're trying to inflate ourselves over other people. But sometimes it's not feeling superior. Sometimes it's actually feeling inferior. It's feeling lesser than. Like, I, I'm not as good of a person as so-and-so. I'm not as gifted as so-and-so. Or I'm lesser than because I don't have the education. Or I don't look the same as so-and-so. And friends, have you ever stopped to think that that can be rooted in pride just as much as feeling superior? Why? Because pride is, at the end of the day, what it is, is it's this inflated sense of self. This word that Paul uses for pride here, it actually has to do with a bag being blown up. And you can see how that relates to us. It's this idea of our ego. You know, sometimes we talk about our head. It's this idea of being puffed up in ourselves, of being inflated in who we think we are and what we deserve. And sometimes when we're not getting what other people, what we think we deserve... It makes us bitter and it makes us angry. Why? Because in our pride, we think we're entitled to it. We have this inflated sense of self. So it's all rooted in, in, in this thing called pride. And it manifests itself in boasting. It manifests itself in being rude to others. And it's very destructive. 
in our relationships. Friends, do you realize who you have the most in common with? Who in the Bible you have the most in common with when, when pride creeps into your heart? Who, who in the Bible are you most like? You're, amen. You get an A plus, man. That's, you're like Satan. Some of us don't know this. We look at all the different Bible texts that talk about Satan. You piece it together and we, we glean that what happened to Satan was in the beginning. He was this mighty archangel that oversaw other angels. And God endowed him with power and beauty. He was this powerful, mighty, beautiful archangel. And, and what happened was he began to take his eyes off of God and put his eyes on himself. He became self-focused. And he began, look at all my power, look at my beauty. And then he began to even believe that he could rival God. He began to believe he should be God. Because after all, look at how powerful I am. Look at how beautiful I am. And he got followers to get behind him. And I, I found this interesting. 20%, they've said that 20% of any group will follow somebody if they're prideful. People love the proud, arrogant leader. And 20% of any group will naturally follow that person just because they seem confident. Okay? Well, that's what happened with Satan. He's proud. He's bald. So other angels started to follow Satan. And what happens? Of course, God kicks Satan and those other angels that we know called demons, kicks them out of heaven. There is a mighty fall. And now Satan roams the earth wanting to torment us because he's angry and he's bitter about it. And it's a way to get back at God. Okay? We read about this in 1 Timothy 3.6. Paul here in this context is talking about leaders in the church, elders in the church. And he says that that, that leader you're considering must not be a new convert. Why? He may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. The implication is that's what happened to the devil. He became conceited. He became self-focused. He put his eyes on himself, and there was judgment for that. So much of pride has to do when our focus is on ourself, our goals, our agenda, what we got going on in life. And God is just kind of a side note. He's just kind of a footnote that comes along. So, so proud. It's so prideful when we get like that. And I would ask you the question, man, how much, how much time have you honestly spent outside of being here this morning, which is great, and now the time of prayer? Hopefully you're doing that outside of church. But focused on God, thinking on God's agenda and his goals and his kingdom and what he's trying to do. Now you would think if this is a major problem in the church of Corinth, you would think that Paul is going to, to tackle this, okay, and that he's going to help us with this. I mean, what is the answer to battling pride in our lives? How do we become more humble people? Do we white-knuckle it? Do we just say, I'm not going to be proud anymore. I'm going to stop boasting in myself. Is that how you win this war? What if I told you that actually the way you win this battle is by boasting more? What if I told you that the way you're going to win this battle is by becoming more prideful? You're like, what? How is boasting more and being more prideful going to help us to be more humbled? Friends, 
It's not about boasting and being prideful in ourselves. It's about being boastful and prideful in the Lord. It's taking our eyes off of ourselves and boasting more in who he is and what he's done for us and what he's going to do for us. It's taking our eyes off of ourselves. And so Paul has to address this early on in the church of Corinth because the pride thing was destroying this church. So he brings it up early, in fact, in chapter 1. And I want you to hear what he says here. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. What, what is he saying here? He's basically, to paraphrase, he's kind of saying most of you, most of you were nobodies when God called you into this thing called Christianity. Most of you were not very wise. You didn't have a lot of influence. You weren't born to noble parents. You're saying you, you, were, you, were, you were nobodies. That's how you came in. But then God started to work on you. Then God started to change you. He started to give you some wisdom. He started to actually give you some influence. You started walking in this confidence because you realized that, no, maybe you don't have earthly noble parents, but you belong to a heavenly father who is more noble than anything else. And you began walking in confidence. And he's saying, that's who you are now. But when you came into this thing, you were nobodies. You ever notice that? That when you look around at the world, you look around at Hollywood, you look around at sport, you don't see a lot of strong Christians there. It's just the way it kind of the, the world kind of works. Most of us are just average Joes. We're nobodies. That's the, that's the reality, at least from a worldly perspective. But Paul goes on to say, but... God chose the foolish things of the world, that's you and me, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world, that's you and me, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not. Why? To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So what this is saying is God loves to take the nobody. God loves to pick up the loser and bring him into the family. He loves to take the sinner and the person that no one thinks there's any hope for. And then what God loves to do is lift that person up so that everyone goes, how is that possible? How did this person who was so foolish become so wise? How did this person who had no influence become so influential? How did this person who was so poor and didn't seem to have any confidence, all of a sudden they're walking in confidence? How is that possible? It's possible, friends, because of God. He lifts up the humble, but the proud he brings down and he shames them, in other words, through what he's doing in our lives. Which is why Paul goes on in verse 30 to say, it is because of him God, that you are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize who it is who brought you into this? It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us our wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. What is Paul arguing here? Everything you have, everything good in your life, it comes from God. It's because God gave it to you. That job you have, that influence you now have, any wisdom that you've learned over the years, any character that's been built into your life, even the very health that we have, 
that allows us to do any of this stuff. It's all been, so we don't boast. We humble ourselves. And as we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. Meanwhile, those who are boasting in what they've done, what does God do? He brings them down. Which is why then Paul ends it by saying this way. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts do what? So all glory to God. All glory to God. The way you're going to battle pride in your life, the way you're going to become a more humble person is taking your eyes off of yourself and putting your eyes where they belong. You put your eyes on God. You remember that everything we have has been a good, a good gift given through him, including salvation and eternal life. It's God who did that for us. And so let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And maybe some of us come in this morning and we, we come in with a little pride in our hearts and you're self-focused, you focus on your agenda and what you got going on. Maybe my encouragement to you today would be, as we end with worship this morning, take your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes where they belong. And can we, church, just say, God, you deserve all the glory? Can we say you have been so faithful and we can trust that you will be faithful in our future and that we're going to trust you to work in us and through us so that people see you in our lives? Can we be that kind of church? So we're going to get to apply this. We're going to get to apply this. And as we do, I, I would just encourage us, turn our face, our eyes, our attention to the heavens and give God thanks this morning as we're reminded of his goodness. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for how you're, you're working in our lives. We are thankful that you are using our lives, that you use people like us, that you bring us from even lowly places, but end up doing more in our lives and through our lives than we could ever do on our own. And I believe there's some who come in here this morning, they've just been burdened by thinking about themselves. It's almost been like chains around their soul. And I just pray this morning those chains would be broken, that we'd be freed as we put our eyes on you and boast in the one who deserves to be boasted in, which is you, God. Help us to be a church that does that and is humbled in your presence because of how great you are in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.